Continuing in this Thursday series of homilies focused on Abram and Sarah, we come now to Genesis 22. After these things, God tested Abraham. He said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I shall show you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. He cut wood for the burnt offering and set out and went to the place in the distance that God had shown him. The word of the Lord. God. Holy God, we ask for the inspiration of your Holy Spirit in grappling with this very difficult passage. Be with us in our seeking of a word from you. We ask in the name of Christ Jesus. Amen. Childless old Abraham and Sarah received a promise from God that they would have a son and a future, and that they were going to be blessed to be a blessing if only they began the journey of faith, which they did. Abraham was 75 years old when he received the promise, and 100 years old when the child named Isaac was born. Remember how much laughter there was when the announcement of the arrival of that child. Isaac, the name means laughter. Well, then after the child had grown older, God reappeared to Abraham again and said to go up to the Mount of Moriah and take your son, your only son whom you love, and offer him as a burnt offering to me without even arguing with God. Abraham takes his son and heads up the mountain to do just what God told him. When pastors preach, it is their passion to pull God's word out of the text for the congregation, to help the congregation find their own lives in the text, to make the point that this isn't just an ancient story, but this is God's word to us as well. This passage is a great challenge to that agenda. What is God trying to tell us in this passage? It's been a really interesting week for me with this text. Last Friday, when I pulled it out to look at it afresh, knowing that next Thursday was coming, I was struck by how different the ancient world is from our world. I even dared to wonder if we were worshiping the same God as Abraham. Abraham is held up as a role model of faith in both the Old and the New Testaments. But today, we would throw a father in jail for trying to do something like this. 
And so by the end of the day, Friday, I thought, there's still a lot of time. I can call the chapel office, and we can change this text <laughs> to something I can handle. Over the weekend, as I stayed with the text, I decided I would spiritualize away the scandal here. After all, God didn't really let Abraham kill his son, so it was a test. But I found little comfort in this test. None of us would pass this test. None of us should pass this test. When the unsuspecting Isaac asked his father, where was the sacrifice? Abraham simply says, the Lord will provide. Was well, that it? Is that God's word to us, that the Lord will provide? Maybe. But what do we do with that advice as a way of living? Next time you fill out a credit application, and you get to the box marked income, <laughs> just write in there, the Lord will provide. They, they just love that down at the bank. <laughs> Besides, Abraham wasn't taking Isaac up to the mountain to have spiritual devotions with him. He was really going to kill that kid. So I gave up trying to spiritualize away the scandal. Early in the week, I decided what I needed to do was take my focus off of Abraham, with whom I couldn't relate, and focus it instead on God. But that did not get me off the hook. What kind of God would ask a father to sacrifice his only son? And then, of course, the response to that is the same kind of God whose only son was sacrificed for our sins. Well, then I started feeling embarrassed because it was easier for me to feel the pathos of old Abraham than it is the heartbreak of God whose son died for us. That's it, I thought. I'll go with that angle on Thursday. <laughs> but the text wouldn't leave me alone, and I knew I still had not gotten anywhere near the bottom of this. By last night, I was in a cold sweat. I went back in front of this text once again, and I actually heard myself saying, how do I rescue this text? And that's when I got really embarrassed. It is not my calling to rescue the text. God's word, it's God's word. My calling, your calling, is to surrender to the text. As that thought came to mind, I could almost see Abraham rise up out of the text, slap me around a little bit, <laughs> and say, as my story reveals, the journey I've been on with God has been riddled with mistakes. And the worst of them were made when I was trying to rescue the blessing. Now, I, I just trust God. That, I think, is God's word for us today. Now, I just trust God. 
We all trust something. Students tend to trust their capacity for hard work in order to get a degree and then a job. Parents trust the love they have for the child, that that love will take root. Preachers trust their ability to make sense out of ancient texts. Whatever it is that you're trusting in, that's your Isaac, your blessing from God. And when the chips get down, you want to cling to this blessed Isaac. Whatever it is, your education, your health, your relationships, your work, your skills, your charisma, whatever you have, you will firmly admit it's a blessing from God. And you want to use this blessing to be a blessing to others. So you've thrown your life into this blessing in order to have a life that makes a difference. But what are you going to do on the day that God asks for Isaac back? It's time to give up the blessing. As I've pointed out several times in these homilies, Abraham was an altar builder. Throughout the journey, he kept building altars where he would sacrifice his failures and his sins, and he would give praise to God, and that freed him to continue on the journey in pursuit of the blessing. But now it's Isaac, the blessing, who he has to put on the altar. He's already sacrificed his past when he left Ur of Chaldees. Now he's being asked to sacrifice his future. Without Isaac, there will be no descendants. Which would mean now it would just be Abraham and God. But Abraham and God was all that there had to be. By this point, he trusted him because they'd been together too long. The trust wove the two of them inseparably together. He didn't understand God, but he trusted God. Everybody at some point in their life will run into Genesis 22. You can't skip it. It comes for all of us. John of the Cross called it the dark night of the soul. It's coming. The, that, that's the day that you put your blessing back on the altar. And you have no idea how you're going to get by without it. And in that day, you face one of the most important questions of your soul. That question is, do you still want God if no blessings come attached? If it's just God and you? Are you still interested in God? And your response to that question will illustrate what you've been worshiping all along. Have you been worshiping God or the blessing that you can't live without? Well, as you all know, God did not let Abraham sacrifice Isaac. It was close. But just in the nick of time, an angel prevented him from slaying his son. He saw the the ram, sacrificed it instead. So yes, the Lord did provide, but not until Abraham put Isaac on the altar. 
A few chapters later, we read that Abraham lived to be 175 years old. But I think all of his years with Isaac, after that dramatic day on Mount Moriah, were far more enjoyable even than the days of laughter he had with Isaac before then. And that's because Abraham was no longer worried about losing Isaac. And he was no longer worried about losing him because he had already given him back to God. You can only enjoy a blessing if you don't have to keep it. Blessings are meant to be held in open hands. The posture of faith and trust. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.